Well, good morning. Our theme this winter, second week of January. Can you believe it? January 10th already? Uh, wow. Uh, our theme is restore and renew. We're going to explore that today uh, in a way of capturing uh, the anticipation of a new year. Are you ready for the new year? Uh, by the way, how are you doing leaving 2020 behind? 
how are you doing leaving 2020 behind? Uh, as of this past week, it feels to me like a Hotel California moment. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. Uh, we thought we'd put 2020 behind us, and then the events of this week, uh, boy, it makes it feel like this is just Groundhog Day. We keep going through crazy things. Uh, all through 2020, we did politically, COVID, social issues, all important in their own way, representing a spectrum of concerns uh, for our nation. Uh, and now, uh, in the first week of the new year, we're, we're in the thick of it. Uh, we checked out, but we can't seem to leave uh, 2020. And yet, here we are, one week into 2021. Uh, I feel bad for Goldman Sachs, not that bad, but they're doing just fine, thank you. But they were planning a big event that was to happen this Wednesday. Uh, they've been working with 10,000 small business owners around the country trying to help them navigate the pandemic and the economic uh, elements of the pandemic. And so they had put together an event this week in D.C. to bring all these business owners together with people from Capitol Hill. And of course, uh, the title of uh, the name of this big event was Storm the Hill. Uh, obviously, uh, not a good <laughs> fit for the events of this past week. And so they've had to, to scrap that. They've had to change that. They had to, they had to rethink their plan from storming the hill to a virtual event that will simply be a meet and greet for business owners and uh, national leaders. So perhaps going into 2021, uh, that's a good call for all of us. Uh, do we need to rethink some of the things that matter to us, uh, that we're focusing on, and, and look at how we are preparing to be fully present to God and fully present to people in an authentic way in 2021. Now you might say, well, I'm always present to God. I'm always present to people in His name. Great. So that's simply a confirmation and an affirmation of where you are. Uh, but I'm guessing that for a lot of us, it's, it's a time to say, gosh, you know, maybe I've been on you know, a little bit of an autopilot, assuming that things will change in 2021, and I'll just keep doing what I've been doing. Yeah, but if you do, you'll keep getting the same results. So maybe this is a really good call to action, uh, not a call to arms, <laughs> but a call to uh, insight about well, who you are, who are you, what are you doing, and how are you preparing yourself uh, to be ready for this new year, for the things God wants to do in you and through you. Uh, it's easy to say, well, I'll be ready when, when whatever happens, happens. Right. That's usually not the case. Usually we default to the highest level of training and practice when we face a crisis. We default to the highest level of training and practice when we face a crisis. We don't just rise to the challenge. Uh, we, we, in a sense, settle into whatever level of preparedness uh, we have. Uh, watching a playoff game yesterday, Tampa Bay and Washington, at some point, the uh, Washington quarterback, Heineke, injures his shoulder. He leaves the field uh, to go have it checked out. And then the pundits, the sportscasters are saying, okay, uh, the quarterback they're going to send in has never played a down in the NFL. Would you not have liked to have been in that guy's head at that moment saying, are you ready? What do you think? Now, he might say, I've been ready for a long time. I'm always ready. Yes, but you've never played a down in the NFL. What will it be like? Well, it turns out he didn't have to do that. But can you imagine being in his shoes saying, I'm going to walk out on a field, and in a sense, I'm going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Tom Brady. 
who is the epitome of preparedness. In fact, the, the quarterback, Heineke, who had left the field to have his shoulder examined as a younger quarterback uh, <clears throat> working with the Patriot organization, thinks he's going to show up really early to see film because uh, he wants to be prepared. And he's a rookie, the ultimate rookie. And so he shows up at 5.30 a.m. to the training facility thinking he'll get to be there before anybody else and, and get a jump on the films. Well, who's already there? Tom Brady watching film. And as this guy walks in, wide-eyed, Tom Brady says, who are you? Uh, and he explains who he is. And so Tom Brady invites him to sit down, and together they watch film. And then Tom Brady walks this rookie quarterback through what they're watching. He helps him understand it. He gives him a, a real-life context of what's going on here. And then fast forward, the same quarterback, uh, Heineke, is now facing Tom Brady, Tom Brady in, a, in a playoff game. Powerful, right? Great, great, great picture of what it means to be prepared. Uh, there's an old story about a young preacher who all week is supposed to be preparing for a sermon, and he keeps saying, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. And he would sit down and, and open his Bible, and he'd say, Lord, speak to me. And he'd get restless, and he'd, he'd get up and move around. And now the end of the week, and now he's walking up into the pulpit, and finally one more time he says, Lord, speak to me. And the Lord says, you're not prepared. I don't want to hear that from God as I walk through 2021. Now, I can't anticipate everything I'm going to face. But as I prepare myself in Him, I'll be more likely able to face whatever comes my way. Now, typically January uh, offers us a natural opportunity to reflect on life. New Year's resolutions, hey, it's a new calendar. Uh, what will be different, better about this year? And so uh, typically because it's winter, the days are shorter, the nights are longer, the weather wetter and colder, and so people are hunkered down. It seems like all creation hunkers into a state of quiet, reflective repose, except for us. Except for us. Uh, we don't. We want something new and different in the new year, but we work around it to keep doing what we've been doing. Because we think our survival and success depends on it. We probably need to rethink that. We need to rethink that. I love the way First Peter describes it. Uh, Peter, the apostle of Jesus, now years after Jesus' resurrection, the church has grown far beyond Jerusalem, and Peter is writing to these believers who are facing persecution. Some are, are Jewish believers in Jesus, others are Gentile believers in Jesus. Um, and he says this to them, to remind them who they are because they're facing big challenges socially, politically, economically, big pushback about who they are in Christ. And he wants to remind them who they are. Here's your real identity. He says, for you have been born again. This is 1 Peter 1. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and enduring word of God. For, and now he quotes Isaiah, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And then he caps it off by bringing them to the present. And he says to them, the readers, and this is the word that has been preached to you. And the implication is in the midst of what you're facing and experiencing, this word is enough. This word is the content you need to rise to the challenge to rise to the occasion, to practice your faith in profound and transformational ways, even in situations you have not yet encountered. 
That's the promise of this season of rest- restoration and renewal, realignment. So the first big idea of the morning is this. We live bounded by time, but we're made for eternity. Let me say that again. Uh, the life we live is described by time. Minutes, you know, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years. We live in the context of time. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. But we're made for eternity. There's two things in this world that are eternal. God's word and God's people. Word of God and people are eternal. We live our lives bounded by time, but we are made for eternity. So we need to not step out of time, but in the context of time, we need to claim and recognize the eternal context. We need an an eternal perspective to be in our right mind, our right heart, and our right alignment with ourselves, congruent with who we are inside and outside, and in right alignment with one another, and of course in right alignment with the Lord. And so God calls us into a functional rhythm of work and rest so that we can thrive and grow. Functional meaning it's practical, it's workable, it goes somewhere, it does something. It's not a waste of time. We don't live in this circular loop, a groundhog day perpetually. It might feel like it, but we don't. If we don't grow, uh, certainly we default to that groundhog approach. I just keep doing what I'm used to doing. It's what I know, it's what I do. I have a hammer, everything is a nail. Rather, God calls us into this functional rhythm of work and rest to thrive and grow. So certain seasons, say uh, winter, would imply that, wow, uh, you're more limited in what you can do. Why don't you take advantage of this time to rest and be restored? It's like at the end of a finals week in school. You take that next week or two and you take a break, a vacation, summer vacation, Christmas vacation, Easter break, spring vacation. Uh, As an adult, though, that gets harder to do. Uh, because it's like you're constantly working with all the responsibilities in front of you and uh, the opportunities uh, before you, the problems you're facing. It's all encompassing, pressing down on us. But we all need restoration and renewal. We need recharging and realigning. And we need to reclaim uh, a functional form of work and rest. Because often we overfunction. We, we're working too much, and we're not resting enough. Or in our rest, we're chronically restless so that we don't even get the benefit of our rest. And therefore, we have very little margin. There's not much give or play. And so when some big crisis falls into our lap, falls on us from the sky, it seems, we don't know what to do. We're overwhelmed. We've got no resources or resilience to respond. Now, this might sound really negative. And it might sound negative what Peter is saying, quoting Isaiah, all people are like rest, the flower fades. Rather, what he's saying is, your life isn't defined by that. Your life is defined and supported by the eternal resources of God. This is the message of the morning. We're bounded by time, but we're made for eternity. But even in our efforts to find spiritual rest, we can feel anxiously restless. Why is that? Well, because it's hard. It's hard to focus. All those voices saying, what what do I need to do? What haven't I done? What's being done to me? Uh, And so even though we try to stop and and, and become spiritually fulfilled, we want to do it in an instant way. Instead of saying, you know, I'm going to sit before the Lord in His Word. I read through His Word. I'm going to go to a community Bible study, a life group. I'm going to do some kind of online 
uh, a Bible experience. Uh, I'll practice these spiritual disciplines. But I'm not expecting an immediate result. What I'm going to see is that this is something that is powerful now, yeah. But it's going to work itself into my life over time. So you might spend some time reading God's Word and then close the book and say and pray and say, Lord, I don't know that I feel any different or I'm thinking any differently. But having received that content, and as God starts working it into our thinking and our feeling and our acting, it might be that as you go through the day and in the week you say, gosh, you know, I keep thinking of that verse. It's being very helpful to have that as a perspective. And the more we do that, the more reinforcement we have in terms of a larger context and better content for facing our life. Otherwise, we're going to be just be worried and, and fall into negative self-talk uh, because we are naturally undisciplined and easily distracted. Well, you might say, no, I'm very disciplined. I'm very focused. Yes, but often not on the things of God because that's so out of our comfort zone that in this regard, we do become undisciplined and we do become easily distracted. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 12 of Hebrews, says it this way, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Eventually, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There's nothing more frustrating than learning how to play tennis or golf or to ski or snowboard, to surf. It's, it's frustrating to learn how to cook. How do I know what goes with what? How do I know how long to cook things or not? It's very painful in some ways because you make mistakes. Either you fall down or you embarrass yourself or you get frustrated in your lack of capacity to do what you know you want to do, but your body doesn't seem to want to cooperate. You don't have the muscle memory yet. It's not all coming together and working together. And so it's, it's painful, but eventually it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Nothing better than knowing how to swing a golf club, to catch a wave, to cook a meal, to understand something that you'd have never understood previously, but because of lots and lots of time and attention and a lot of practice, practice in the right way, you're really enjoying the fruit of your labor. When you start to think in the language you've been studying, very powerful. You know that experience. This is what God wants for us spiritually. Why? Because that the spiritual aspect of our, of our being unifies every other aspect of our being. It's the integrative power uh, the integrative reality and principle of our whole life. Everything comes together spiritually. It's not a separate category. And especially it's not a, an incidental, non-essential category. It's the organizing principle of our whole life. And for us to neglect that means we're missing the very thing that allows our life to come together. So we're naturally conflicted about this, about our own relationship with God, about who He is and how we connect with Him. And so this season, uh, I'm encouraging you, uh, along with me, to make more time to focus on God and to focus on your life with Him, your relationship with Him. He's not a, con a concept or an abstraction. He is a real presence in your life if you've received Him by faith, if you've put your trust in Him, if you're putting your trust in Him. He is a friend. Jesus said it this way, I call you friends. So think of it as a gift to give yourself and also a gift to others around you. Why? Because as you grow in your knowledge and love of God, it's transforming you and your life is better for it. Also, the people who experience you appreciate that. 
Wouldn't you like to know that everybody who's in your life embodies the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That would be awesome to think that everybody in my world uh, exhibits these qualities and these values and the fruit of God's Spirit. Wow, what a gift that is to be in relationship with them. And conversely, that you would have those in your life in increasing measure is an incredible gift to the people around you. Powerful, powerful to think about. This effort is not just a benefit for you, it's a benefit for everybody around you and for people you've never met yet. And here's why it matters. God entrusts us with the riches of his kingdom. Uh, We see this in what uh, the Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy. Timothy, a young man, he's a pastor, uh, having a very challenging ministry in Ephesus, a major city, kind of the second Rome, uh, the second center of power in the Roman Empire, um, what we know as modern-day Turkey, Ephesus, an amazing cosmopolitan place. And so Paul writes to him saying, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. He says this in 1 Timothy 1, chapter 6. Guard what's been entrusted to your care. Then again, in his second letter, he says it. He repeats it. Uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, he says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Guard, what do you mean guard? Like keep it hidden? Keep it away from people? No. Value it is, is what he means by guard. See the value and the worth of it. See how precious it is. Bring it forward as a defining feature in your life, as the thing that describes you best. You've heard that parable of the talents. Uh, the master gives the servants, three servants, different amounts of money. Two of them take that money and invest it wisely. They come back and they say, hey, you gave me five, I got ten. You gave me ten, I got, I got twenty. The third one says, you know, I know you're really an unreasonable taskmaster. I know it ticks you off when people don't perform. So I decided just to bury my talents so I wouldn't lose them. And the, the, the servant thinks he's guarding it, protecting it. What he's doing is squandering it because then the master says, hey, I could have had a return on, on the, on the uh, value of that if you just invested it simply or given it back to me. I could have invested it. So for us to guard what has been entrusted to us is to say, how do I fully utilize this? How do I fully embrace this? How does this become a functional part of my rhythm of work and rest? Because this thing that we're called to guard is a thing that's preparing us for life. So the Holy Spirit helps us embody, appropriate God's goodness and God's generosity. Being able to, to take these precious resources the riches of God's kingdom, and utilize them wisely in the real world. And so Paul writes to the Colossians, again, a small town uh, in in what is now modern-day Turkey. He says, God has chosen to make known among the nations the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a mouthful. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does that mean? Paul goes on to say, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It's God's power, and as I strenuously respond to it, as I submit myself to the discipline of understanding it and appropriating it, implementing it, Something powerful happens. It can only be described as Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so it's the nature and character of Jesus shaping ours to influence others for him. 
powerful. And the result of that is not only do we become more, more mature in Christ, we're able to present others mature in Christ. So the first idea is this. We're, we live bounded by time, but we're made for eternity. The second big idea of the morning is this. We are uniquely shaped to serve God by ministering to people. God has and is uniquely shaping us to bring forward these incredible riches in order to bless other people. And so shape. Shape is an acronym uh, for uh, spiritual gifts, S. A heart, a passion for what uh, God has given to us uh, to do. That's the H. A, abilities, natural capacities and aptitudes that we possess. Uh, the fourth is personality. Uh, through our unique personality, God is expressed. And, and the fifth part of that is our experience. You have unique experiences that equip you uh, to make a difference out of, your, out of your strengths, out of your insights, out of your understanding of how the world works. Shape is spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, and experience. And it's the demanding work, the demanding work, embracing suffering for something significant. Well, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean the demanding work of of suffering and embracing suffering. Well, <clears throat> let me give you some context here. After his resurrection, Jesus gathers uh, his disciples together and he says this, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Well, that's, kind of, that's an honor. That's a promotion. God the Father sends Jesus, the Son, into the world to be the Savior of the world. He's called Lord and Savior. He's the King of the world. Find out that all things are made in him and through him, all things that come together in him. My gosh. And we're being sent under that authority? Yeah, awesome, isn't it? Yeah, except that when you think about the implications of that, the cost of that. And so Paul says it this way. Again, writing to the Colossians in chapter one, he says, Now I rejoice, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Now he's not being a whiny kind of a person. You should really appreciate me because I'm suffering so much. Rather what he's saying is, I'm rejoicing. I have this incredible privilege that makes me even willing to suffer on your behalf. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking regarding Christ's afflictions. He's not saying Christ's sacrifice on the cross was insignificant and insufficient. He's saying, because of that, I want to close that gap between what Jesus has done and what people need. Because I bear in myself the fruit of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I want other people likewise to experience that. And so he says, for the sake of his body, which is the church, I'm willing to even suffer to make this possible. He's not comparing himself to Jesus saying, I'm a martyr in the sense that I'm a savior. Rather, he's saying, because Jesus is the savior and I'm his beloved child, I'm the recipient of this. I want to do everything I can to leverage what he's entrusted to me to bless other people. So there's value and cost in giving sustained spiritual energy and effort to anything we do. Out of our shape, we're willing to take risks and make commitments that cost us something. Why? Because we feel compelled to do it, knowing that it's really what we want to do. Why? Because we want to benefit other people in Jesus' name. Take a simple analogy. A parent. A person is walking through life thinking, gosh, life is great. They get married. They have kids. Next thing you know, they're loving these kids, and it's inconvenient. It's costly. 
Uh, they get less sleep. They go through emotional challenges as those children uh, are sick or injured, as they struggle, as they're afraid, as they deal with life. You want to protect them. And next thing you know, you're willing to do anything for these kids. Not to spoil them, but to prepare them, to protect them, to provide for them. And if somebody said to a parent, gee, isn't it a bummer you have to care for your kids to the point that you suffer? The parent would look at that person and say, are you, are you crazy? I love this. I love them. I do anything for them. This is what Paul is saying. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Why? Because it pays a massive, immediate, and eternal dividend on your behalf in Christ. And likewise, giving us examples of faithful people who do this, the writer of Hebrews says, again in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, so many people who've demonstrated their faith uh, in practical ways, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let's push through that strenuously with the power that Christ gives us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He gave it all, and God raised him up in glory. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So Jesus is our model, our example, and it's the very power of Jesus who makes it possible for us to participate in this. And so it's the perseverance and service and celebration we were talking about last week. Through His Holy Spirit, Jesus equips us to do this essential work that the world desperately needs. Now, it's not a grandiose thing with a big announcement, hey, Steve's here, he's going to do something awesome for you and essential, or your name. But rather it's saying, us, present to God and present to people, make a difference. Because God works in us and God works through us. And the more we're focused on that and intentional and conscious about that, the wiser we become in the way that we use our shape to not only enjoy life, but to care for people in the midst of our life. And we actually enjoy that even if it costs us something. So if the first point was, we live bounded by time, but we're made for eternity, and the second point, that we're uniquely shaped to serve God by ministering to people, here's the third and final idea of the morning. Being a servant of God is the most satisfying way to live life. There's no more satisfying way to live life than being a servant of God. Whether you're a servant of God in the marketplace, as a parent, as a spouse, as a grandparent, as a friend, colleague. Being the servant of God, not wearing it on your sleeve like, yeah, I'm a servant of God. Look at my stripes, I'm awesome. But rather just saying, Lord, here's an opportunity for me to serve you. And the day-to-day interactions we have with people, how awesome it is that we get to be not necessarily a person with a program, a person with a pitch. We get to be a person with a presence, the presence of God in us. Small acts of consideration and kindness. Conversations that that go beyond trivial and mundane. Gestures and behaviors that somehow affirm people and encourage people and show them maybe there's other options that they thought possible for their life. This is all what comes out of this experience of being a servant of God. And yes, ministering to others is exhausting, but it's also ennobling 
ennobling and energizing. It, it restores us. And of course, it, it fatigues us. So we need to take time to be in the presence of God and say, Lord, fill me, restore me. That's why retreats are so important, why a life group is so important, why quiet times with God uh, throughout the week in his word, in prayer, is so important. By taking a break occasionally and, and simply uh, doing something to clear your head and your heart and restore your body. But meanwhile, we're ennobled by this process of being a, a servant of God. And we're actually energized by it. We can't wait to get back to it. And once we overcome maybe some of the frustrations we've experienced working with people, which are inevitable, we say, okay, I'm ready to go back. I'm ready for more. By the way, every parent needs a break from their kids. Every kid needs a break from their parents. So that when they come back together, they say, I really do appreciate you. Let's keep going. So I ask you, uh, if you're already going to be interacting with people anyway, why not embrace it as a ministry? And you see yourself as a servant of God. Again, not with this attitude that says, oh, I'm such a servant. Rather saying, you know, it's a joy being present to God and being present to you. You don't even have to say that. You just have to do that and be that. And you bless people by your presence. So how will this year be different for you? How will it be better for you? Well, it all depends on who you listen to. Who are you listening to? Uh, you, you turn on the news, you open up the newspaper, you go to whatever media outlet you have on your phone or your device, and you say, okay, what do they think? What do they say? Bad way to start today. Start with the voice of God speaking to you. Listen to him. Learn to identify his voice among the cacophony of voices shouting out at you. So that when you have listened to him clearly and you understand his heart and his word, his truth, his purpose, you understand who he is in his nature and character. Then as we open up the news outlets and the media and we read points of view, we can process those because we're filtering them through the word of God so that we can capture the truth in them but let go of the stuff that would be not true, not helpful. Because pretty much everything you read and hear has some element of truth, but it's often mixed with other points of view that are not necessarily true. And so you want to be able to, to, to discern that wisely. You want to be a heads-up person in the marketplace, in the culture. And to do that, you need to learn to listen to God. You need to put in that time so that your perspective isn't narrowing, but because of Him, your perspective is expanding. Again, you're living in time, but you're made for eternity. And you bring that eternal perspective to look at issues defined by time. And you become a person of your times in a very relevant, profound way. You don't become irrelevant because you've, you've opted out. You're, you're, you're now more engaged because you're saying, I'm paying attention to my culture. Just like I pay attention to my own heart, my own spirit. And I pay attention to the people in my life. And it gives you a perspective that allows you to be resilient and resourceful. To expand your understanding, even as you are clear on what the Word of God is about. So start with the Lord who calls you beloved. Filter everything you hear through His Word. Confirm your words to His. And so what will that look like? Well, I think the result will be you saying and doing some things differently this year. Not because you're saying, I'm really trying to be better. I'm trying to please God and everybody in my life. Trying to please God and everybody in your life uh, can be really frustrating for everybody. But simply being present to God and being present to the people in your life out of the, out of the love and understanding uh, you're receiving from God through His Holy Spirit, through Bible study, through prayer, through conversations with godly people, then that is going to be powerful. 
in, in you saying and doing some things differently this year because of the insights you now have, the understanding you now possess. Hey, I used to do this, I'm learning to, to do that. I want to do this, but wisdom would say I should probably approach it this way. This will make a much better year for you and the people in your life. Uh, you'll likely have a better motive and attitude if you're doing this according to your shape. Who am I? Take a little time to understand you. What, what do I think my spiritual gifts might be? What do I have a heart for? What are my abilities? What are the things I gravitate to doing that define my abilities? What is my unique personality about? And then what experiences have I had? And as you live out of that versus other people's expectations of you, you're going to be in a much better place to enjoy the life that God is giving you, even if it's a challenging life. You'll be able to say yes, and you'll be able to say no more confidently because you'll have a better, a better sense of your own boundaries. And as your boundaries improve, so will your capacity to love and to give and to serve. You can't say yes to everything, and you shouldn't say no to everything. But this wisdom and discernment that comes from having clear boundaries, who am I and what's mine, who are you and what's yours, allows us then to say yes and no more intelligently and to be able to follow through on those commitments because we have more love and we have more margin to serve and to give and to, to interact with people in a way that uh, is, 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 is costly, but it's worth it. So you'll probably feel uh, more deeply. That is, you'll laugh more easily. You might cry more easily. This might be shocking to you and the people around you. But the more we mature in Christ, our emotional life comes alive. Uh, we have more reason to laugh and, and to see the humor in life even among the pain that causes us to weep. And by weeping, that's empowering. Uh, there's nothing more powerful than to be a person of deep feeling. Now, to be an emotional wreck is a different story. But to be a person who is growing in maturity about knowing how to feel, knowing how to describe what they feel, knowing how to express their feelings is powerful. It makes life deeply, deeply satisfying. Nothing more un un unsatisfying and frustrating than not knowing how you feel. But you know you get big feelings. You don't know how to describe them. You don't know how to, to express them. You don't know where to go with them. Gosh, that's horrible. And this is where the process of becoming alive in Christ and mature in Christ through the help of wise counselors, godly influences in our life, mentors, coaches, friends, allows us then to have a full range of emotions that makes life so much more satisfying and effective. And so you'll find living with hardship easier and you'll be, you'll be easier to live with. I'm guessing you'll have higher standards and more realistic expectations. That is, you won't lower your standards. You'll say, okay, I have these high standards, but I have more realistic expectations about how I can uh, apply them and approach them, live into them, and how I help other people. Otherwise, if you have high standards and, and, and high expectations, you're always waiting for people to meet your expectations before you affirm them. If you lower your expectations but keep high standards, you can say, you know, this is the standard, and, and man, I love you where you are, and I want to help you get to the standard. If you lower your standard, game off. Uh, life is a mess. So hold on to high standards, but keep your expectations real. Don't demand perfection of people that you'd only expect of God. So if you're more present to God this year, spiritual growth will be inevitable. Why? Because spiritual growth is a natural and supernatural byproduct of simply being alive in Christ. Receiving the content from his word, the encouragement of his spirit, the, the accountability and support of his people, all that produces a natural outcome 
called growth, uh, spiritual growth, life growth. It allows us to thrive. And so even as our bodies get old and decay, which they will, uh, even as our bodies get old and decay, so our spirit will be renewed. While the body is in decay and decline, the spirit is strengthened over the course of a lifetime. I want to leave you with this. Jesus said it this way. Behold, I'm making all things new. Behold, I'm making a new you to review. I'm, be, I'm making all things new. So here's to the new you in 2021. Let me pray for you. A person in progress and process, even as I pray that for myself. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are loving us and accepting us right where we are to take us where we could never go but for you. So I thank you for the power of your word, the power of your spirit to heal, to inspire, to inform, to shape and equip us to be the people we were created to be. People living in time but made for eternity. I thank you, Lord, that nothing and no one can separate us from your love now or ever. I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would encourage them Give them the confidence and the, and the boldness, the courage to step out and open their hearts and minds to you in a fresh way in 2021. I pray that you would give them the patience and the forbearance to suffer as they love people in your name, as they care for people, uh, as they help people uh, feel that love and, and develop their own capacity to love. Lord, what an awesome opportunity you've given us in this year. I pray that we'd make the most of it because we are in you and you are in us. I pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you, shining on you that you might reflect him now and forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.